Our Heavenly Father, we echo those words that we have just sung together, that you would be speaking to us now through your word, that you would be planting it deep in us and changing us. And please would you make us more and more the church that you want us to be for the glory of your name. Amen. Well, as I said, this week our focus is on the Bible. It is by far the best-selling and most widely read book of all time. It's underpinned much of Western civilization. It's shaped our language, inspired our legal system. It's uh, directed much of our morality, influenced the arts, whether that's from paintings to music to cinema. It's formed the basis of modern scientific theory and it has driven universal education. It would be hard to exaggerate how different our world and our lives would be were it not for the formulative influence of the Bible. But as you will know, in the West today, the Bible is and has for some time been under attack, distrusted, criticized, widely ignored, our culture begins to, uh, continues to admire uh, the teachings of the Bible and the morality of the Bible, whether it knows it or not, and yet has detached itself from the source of that teaching. It enjoys the fruit, but rejects the tree on which it grew. And often those like us here at OPC who continue to look to the Bible for truth and guidance are seen uh, best as old-fashioned and a bit naive, and at worst, as dangerous. And so in that context, it's so important for us, the church, to be clear on what we believe about the Bible and the place that it's to have in our lives. And so today, for that reason, we're focusing on the Bible. And we're going to be thinking about what it teaches us, what we, what we believe about the Bible, and how it is that we are to respond to those things that we believe. And we've got five of each, five things we believe and five implications, responses to those things that we believe, okay? And here is the first one on the screen. It's God's written word to us. We were thinking at our carols by candlelight services, if you can remember back to those, that Jesus is God's word in flesh. Well, the Bible is God's word in print, the primary way that he reveals himself to us today. A long time ago, when my parents were courting, they performed their whole courtship via written letter. They had been in each other's company for just two weeks before my dad went to live in a distant country. And so they were writing these letters to each other. And it being the olden days, it took weeks for these letters to get between each other. And uh, every time another letter arrived from the other, they would be there opening it, um, reading it through, reading it again, poring over these letters of uh, increasing romance um, through their courtship. That's how precious the Bible should be to us. God is away from us in body, but present with us by his Holy Spirit and through his written word. We looked at a couple of verses about the Bible last week, but worth looking at again. The first is this, 2 Timothy 3, 16, which says, all scripture is God-breathed. It has been breathed out by God. It is his voice. 
And even though it was written down by people, we believe nonetheless it was inspired by God. So 1 Peter 2, 1, 2 Peter 1 verse 21 says, prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we come to two terms to help us describe this belief about the Bible. It's infallible and inerrant. Infallible means that it is totally trustworthy. Inerrant means that it is absolutely true in all it seeks to teach. So we believe that this is a divinely inspired book, different from any other book that you will pick up. We don't worship the Bible, but we should feel a right sense of awe as we pick up this book and break open its pages and begin to read. It is God's written word to us, God's voice. Now that is something that I've often heard challenged and I expect that you will have done as well. A common way that I've heard that challenged and people have said this to me is, isn't the Bible full of contradictions that show it's not trustworthy, that it's not infallible and inerrant? And often when I, I ask people um, to show me those contradictions, well often they, they actually can't, they haven't found them, but they've heard and I expect you have too. Others say that that's the case. And that's not an accusation, actually, that's completely without basis. There have often been times in which I've been reading the Bible and have come across things that have seemed at first glance and even second glance to be contradictions, things that have perplexed me. And yet the case is that those problems steadily yield to patient study and as our understanding grows. And I've never come across an apparent contradiction or a problem for which that hasn't been the case. And so as people who take the Bible seriously, we should always be asking questions of the Bible, seeking to understand and resolve those things that perplex us. And so let's do everything we can to have and to be part of a culture here at OPC where we are asking tough questions of the Bible, not brushing them under the carpet or thinking that they're a problem, because if this is God's word, and it is, then it will stand up to our scrutiny. This understanding of the Bible is borne out by Jesus in the way that he approached and spoke of the Old Testament. He described it as the word of God in John 10.35, Mark 7.13. He said that it, quote, cannot be set aside. In Matthew 5, he says it's indestructible. He takes it with such seriousness that at some places in the New Testament, he hangs significant teaching off just one or two words, not verses, words from the Old Testament. And he's always referring to it with his disciples and with the religious teachers of his day, consistently showing a complete trust in it and confirming its accounts. Now, again, I've sometimes spoken to people who are Christians but have said, but I don't believe this or that that's taught in the Old Testament. Or I don't believe this whole book even in the Old Testament. And if that's a position that you sympathize with or that you're in, I want to say this, that I think that that is inconsistent. If I follow Jesus, why would I not follow him in the way that he treats the Old Testament? And the same could be said of the New Testament, written, of course, after Jesus died. Because in John 16, 
he gives his disciples authority and authorization to write the New Testament. Um, Have a look uh, here in John 16. Jesus says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Do you see, he authorizes his disciples to write the New Testament. And that understanding of the scriptures is made clear by the disciples, later called the apostles themselves. We've recently looked several times at Ephesians 2.20, which says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The apostles wrote the New Testament. The prophets wrote the Old And so he's saying that the church is built on the Bible. In 2 Peter 3, 16, Peter talks about Paul's letters and, quote, the other scriptures, making it clear that Peter understood Paul's letters to be scripture. And as followers of Jesus, we are bound to view the Bible as Jesus did, as God's written word to us. And so there's the first thing that we believe. It is God's written word to us. And here's the first response that we are to have uh, to that belief. So read the Bible. (laughs) Uh, Nothing remarkable about that, you might think. But it's God's written word to us. So read the Bible. It's inconceivable that when my parents received those romantic letters from each other, they would have tossed them on the coffee table and thought, I'll get to that later when I've got time, which of course never happens. No, they poured over them. And that should be our approach to the scriptures too, though often it isn't, and we'll talk about that a bit later. But Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, speaking about the Bible says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Anyone who's had children knows that children crave milk like that. And so we should the word of God. And in Acts chapter 17, we see a a group of people from Berea being commended in this way. It says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And so we should be like the Bereans. But of course, and I've said this before, being told to just read your Bible can sometimes feel a bit like being given a fork and told to eat an elephant. You think, well, where do I start? How do I start? And so if that's the case, then I just want to point your attention to this website, thegoodbook.co.uk, and the web address at the bottom there. And uh, if you would like to get going in reading the Bible for yourself, that would be a great place to start. Uh, you can get some wonderful resources for daily Bible reading there, whether um, uh, that get posted to you with um, dates, or you can get it all on the app as well. It's cheap as chips, and it's absolutely brilliant stuff. So that's a great place to start to avoid that fork elephant feeling, if that speaks of you. And you can also, of course, how else do you do this of of reading the Bible? Well, uh, talk to me if you want any help with that. If you're coming across things that you're finding difficult and want help understanding. Uh, Speak to other Christians in the church family too. And of course, come to Small Group Central. That's a place that in community we look at God's word together. 
So that's the first, and actually the longest of these five uh, points, if you're beginning to get worried. Um, the, the Bible is God's written word to us. So read the Bible. And secondly, uh, this one, it's our ultimate authority. Now, of course, this is linked to the first. It's because it's God's word that it is our ultimate authority. But it's worth drawing out and driving home this particular point. If you want to know how we're to live as individuals or as the church, then we look to the Bible. We belong to God and the church is his, so he has the final word in all things. But of course, we live in a time when God's word is challenged and ignored, not just outside the church, but sadly from within the church as well. Some openly defy the Bible and recognize that that's what they're doing, but others claim to believe the Bible, but perform sometimes the most extraordinary gymnastics to make it say what they want it to say and to fit with what they want, it, want to believe. And that's not something that should surprise us. The Apostle Paul warned Timothy, a younger minister, of exactly this. Notice in these words that we're about to look at what Paul said would happen and how he tells Timothy to respond to those things. 2 Timothy 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing at his kingdom, I give you this charge, Timothy. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather round them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Paul tells him to expect that people will reject the scriptures. And he tells him to respond, not by asserting his authority as the minister, I'm in charge here, we'll believe what I say we should believe. No. Nor by appealing to the tradition of the church. This is what we've always believed. No. What does he point to? He says, preach the word. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction because the word is our ultimate authority. Not the minister, not the tradition of the church, but the word. And so because it's our ultimate authority, this is how we should respond. Obey the Bible. Okay, now if you're at home, I just want you to do this. Just tap your head for a moment. You do that? Okay, now you can stop. Um, now, I'm quite sure that there were two responses to what I just said. Some of you will have played along and will have tapped your head. Others of you will have gone, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Uh, there were one or two at the back who were running the sound who uh, were in that position. And um, uh, I don't blame you. I probably wouldn't have tapped my head either if I were you. <laughs> but look, when we hear God's word to us, we have a decision about how we respond. Will we go along with him or will we think, no, or maybe even, he can't see me, no one will know. 
Um, uh, uh, last year, I think it was last year, my eldest son, William, uh, was due his flu jab. Um, it wasn't even a jab. There's nothing scary about it. It's not a needle. It's a squirt of liquid up the nose. All of the other kids in his class had it done very conveniently while they were at school. William came home with a note explaining that he flat out refused to have this little bit of liquid squirted up his nose. And so I, on my day off, had to take him to another place, queue up for about an hour in order to get him this jab. And I explained to him, you know, it, it will barely hurt, it's a little uncomfortable, but it's for your good. And I had to explain it over and over. And eventually he allowed this nurse to give him the flu jab. Now we will obey the Bible as our ultimate authority even when we don't understand why God teaches what he does, if we trust him. We do that because we believe he is our father and he loves us and he would never tell us to do anything that was for our harm and he's always working for our good. And part of the way that we grow as Christians is as we trust God by obeying him with things that we don't understand and finding time and time again that his ways are good and wise. And every occasion that happens makes it a little easier to trust him the next time and the next. So how will we, how will you respond to God's word to you? In Hebrews 3 and 4, quoting Psalm 95, we repeatedly hear this refrain. Today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It's our ultimate authority to obey the Bible, knowing it is the word of your father who works for your good. Thirdly, it's all about Jesus. The Bible is 66 books, It's got 40 plus authors. It's written over 1,500 plus years. But it tells one unified story of salvation. I love um, some words at the end of Luke's gospel. Um, In Luke 24, Jesus has died and he's risen and he's appeared to the women at the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. And they have run back to speak to the disciples and told them that they've seen Jesus alive and they don't quite believe it or think they're a little bit crazy. And then in Luke 24, we see two of the disciples who were at that meeting where the the women told them the news, not two of the 12 disciples, but two of the wider group of disciples. And they are walking away from Jerusalem. They've given up on Jesus. They're, They're walking away. And then Jesus, in disguise, keeping himself from being recognized, comes alongside them and walks along them. This is the road to Emmaus. And they say to Jesus that they had hoped that this Jesus person was the Messiah, but then he had died. And so now they no longer hold out hope of that. And then in Luke 24, Jesus says uh, this to them. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses And all the prophets, which is shorthand for the Bible, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Do you see the point being made there? 
The Old Testament doesn't bear the name of Jesus anywhere. And yet Jesus is saying his fingerprints are all over it. All of the Old Testament is pointing to this Messiah figure and Jesus is that Messiah. And so from Genesis to Revelation, every book is pointing to Jesus. He, uh, he makes a similar point in John chapter five. He says to some of the religious teachers, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them that you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so we see there Jesus reaffirming that the scriptures, the Old Testament, that's all the scriptures that were written at this point, are testifying about him. And yet, um, we, it also shows us um, how we are to respond to that news, that um, it's all about Jesus. And so it's all about Jesus So let the Bible lead you to him. Let the Bible lead you to him. Look at that verse again. Do you notice that it says, you study the scriptures diligently. And yet, Jesus criticizes them. You see, reading the Bible can be terrible for us. It can make us proud that we know more than others. It can make us self-righteous because I've been keeping up with my Bible reading plan. Tick, there's another day. It can make us feel like we're masters of the Bible when we should be letting the Bible master us. The Bible is all about Jesus and the whole point of us reading the Bible is to allow it to lead us to him. Read the Bible in that way, longing for glimpses of Jesus and pursuing every sighting of him And it will do you tremendous good, tremendous good. It's all about Jesus, so let the Bible lead you to him. Fourthly, it's powerful. It's very powerful. Hebrews uh, 4 says uh, these words, these famous words, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Have you ever been reading the Bible or been listening to it being read or preached and it has just convicted you deeply? It's like it was a word written just for you. And it speaks directly into the situations that you're facing at the moment. It's uh, in Ephesians 6, it's described as the sword of the spirit. A powerful, mighty thing. Uh, For those who did the Advent studies uh, in the fixated book that was sent round, um, then Tim Chester puts it brilliantly. He says, that we're to think of God's word not like a sword that cuts us to harm us, but more like a surgeon's scalpel that cuts us to heal us. It penetrates, convicts us, and shows us our hearts. It lays them bare so that we might understand ourselves better and respond rightly to the gospel. It is alive and active. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And it's also powerful because in Isaiah 55, 
we read that it always achieves God's purposes. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God says that his word always achieves his purposes, either by provoking the right response or by exposing the rebelliousness of the human heart. It is powerful. And so how should we respond to this? Well, it's powerful, so expect much of the Bible. I don't know if you're a fan of Harry Potter, uh, but in uh, the book Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, um, Harry gets a new textbook for school. It's a textbook um, all about magical monsters. And uh, not knowing anything about this book, he, he opens it, it's bound closed with a, a leather buckle like a belt, and he opens it. And when he does, this book that is about monsters actually turns out to be a monster itself, and it starts snapping and trying to eat him. And he jumps up on the bed, and he has to try and um, outsmart this book, and eventually he jumps on the cover and puts the belt back through the buckle and, and, and firmly closes the book closed again. Now look, this is a book that we don't need to be afraid of because it is for our good and it brings us life and blessing. But we should approach it with heightened senses, the sort of expectation that makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck because this book is alive. It's active and in a sense it's dangerous because the Holy Spirit has no intention to leave you unchanged. We should expect much of the Bible for ourselves and with unbelievers too. I wonder whether you're ever a little bit embarrassed about the Bible when it comes to talking to non-Christians. We shouldn't be. Look at this verse in Romans chapter one where Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It is powerful. It is God's power to bring life and salvation to everyone who believes. And so as we share the gospel with people who don't yet believe it, we want to share with them the Bible. I hope that after Easter, we'll be running a Christianity Explored course here. And when we do, the backbone of that course is looking at Mark's gospel. We want to get ourselves, we want to get others too into God's word because we believe it is powerful. It's powerful, so expect much of the Bible. And fifthly and finally, it's spiritually discerned. That means we need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand it truly. And we get that from this verse in 1 Corinthians 2, which says this, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Paul's point is that we can only understand the Bible and respond to it rightly with the help of the Holy Spirit. We need him to open our eyes spiritually, to see, to spiritually perform surgery on our hearts through his word. And this is why you can have academics in a biblical theology department at a university spending years poring over the Bible, but never really understanding the heart of its message. 
because it is a spiritually discerned book. And if that's the case, well, how should we respond? It's spiritually discerned, so pray before reading the Bible. Ask for God, the Holy Spirit, to help you as you come to read it. That is a great thing to always do when we come to the Bible. Ask for God, the Holy Spirit, to help your friends and family as you share the Bible with them in whatever way. Whenever we come to God's word, it's right to ask for his help, not to presume that we can master it through our own cleverness, but rather to rely on his wisdom and his spirit to help us to respond. Sometimes I find it quite exciting just praying for God's help as I look at the Bible. Often I pray something like this, Heavenly Father, as I come to your word this morning, please would you help me to see and to understand. Please speak to me and would I be listening? And Father, if there's any particular thing that you are trying to draw my attention to today from your word, help me not to miss that, but to hear and respond as you would have me respond. Amen. And when I pray like that, I find it exciting because it's exactly the sort of prayer that I know that God would love to answer. So it makes my expectations that he will grow as I open the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. Every time I read the Bible, there aren't fireworks. (laughs) Often I find it very difficult. And saying a particular prayer doesn't guarantee spectacular times in the Bible. It's not a magic trick. But when we ask God to help us by his spirit, well, that's when it begins to get a little bit edgy, a little bit exciting, even a little bit dangerous because we're summoning the help of one who loves to give it. And as we pray that prayer, over time, surely will. It's a spiritually discerned thing. And so pray before reading the Bible. Now, this focus series is about considering together the key elements that make up the life of the church. And the Bible must always be at the heart of the life of this church, whether on Sundays or through the week, in our regular personal devotions, in our conversations with each other, in reaching out to those who aren't yet part of this church family. We love the Bible because we love the God who inspired it and the Savior it reveals. We don't worship the Bible, but we honor it as the voice of the one we worship. It's God's written word to us, so read the Bible. It's our ultimate authority, so obey the Bible. It's all about Jesus, so let the Bible lead you to him. It's powerful, so expect much of the Bible. It's spiritually discerned, so pray before reading the Bible. And a final word uh, on this. I think when it comes to reading the Bible, or for that matter, for any of the other spiritual disciplines like prayer or even coming to a church service, it's very easy for us to feel guilt or shame about our failures in this area. And so I think it's always helpful for us to remind ourselves that Jesus didn't take away our guilt and shame in order for us to feel guilt again just about another list of things instead. No, he wants us to be free of all guilt and shame as Christians. He has died for us so that that is the case. And so if you're struggling to read the Bible or if you've fallen out of any kind of pattern of reading the Bible or if you've never had a pattern of reading the Bible or if you're doing brilliantly and you're reading it every day for that matter, 
it does not change God's view of you. It does not diminish his love for you even one little bit. And don't think you're on your own. I often find reading the Bible hard. Back in December, I had several weeks of really struggling to read my Bible in a meaningful way. That's something that happens to all of us. And there's no cause for guilt and shame in that because we are forgiven. We are the the loved children of God. So never lose sight of that. His heart is drawn to you, even perhaps especially when yours is not drawn to him. He loves you and nothing we can do can affect that. And so when we're not reading the Bible, how should we feel? Well, let me just finish with a quick story about Tim Peake. Some of you will recognize that name. In 2015, Tim Peake became the first British astronaut to travel to space with the European Space Agency. And he went to the International Space Station. And when he was there, he was allowed to make a phone call to Earth. So who do you call? Well, of course, he called his mum and dad. And so they put him through. The phone rang. And it went to answer machine. (laughs) And later, uh, his parents were interviewed by journalists about this, (laughs) that they had missed this call from their son on the International Space Station. And they said with much regret that they had been running an errand, taking something to their daughter. And so they'd missed the call. I don't know whether he left an answer machine message. It would be quite funny to listen back to if he did. But they were gutted. They were gutted that they got a call from their boy in space and they'd missed the call. When it comes to reading God's word, every day we have the opportunity to hear a voice from beyond this world, a voice speaking to you and to me, the voice of one who loves us. And when we miss that voice, there's no cause for guilt or shame. But we should feel a sense of, ah, ah, no, tomorrow I'm going to hear his voice. And so every day, God is calling to you through his word. Today, tomorrow, every day this week, are you going to miss that call? Don't miss the call. A moment of quiet, and then I'll pray. Our Father God, we thank you for your wonderful word, that you love us enough that you have spoken to us, that you speak to us still through this book and by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help us to love the Bible more because it is your voice to us. And we pray that as we get into the Bible increasingly as a church family and individually at home, that you would show us more of your son, the Lord Jesus, that you would lead us to him, that you would grow our love for him. Please help us all with the struggle that it so often is in the busyness of life to find time to spend with you in this way. And please would you give us a longing to know you better that would lead us to the word. In Jesus' name, amen.